My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have a one-shot that we are going to be talking about. And for anybody who is curious, I have the one-shot pulled up in front of me, and I'm going to be talking through all of the information that's in the one-shot. But if you would like to get a text write-up of the notes, you can actually jump over to the Patreon, and you can grab it over there. I put a text post out already. It's already live before I even recorded this. Uh, so any patrons can go over there and pick it up, and then I'll maybe do a more of a full like PDF release at some point in the future. But for now, this is what we have. So this is the Blackwood Manor one-shot. So this is a Halloween-themed one-shot that I put together in about 24 hours because we very last minute decided to have some family come over. And I've been trying to get uh, this family to start a D&D campaign. And we kind of spur the moment. We're like, hey, you guys should come over this weekend. We'll play some board games or whatever. You guys can spend the night and uh, it'll be a fun time. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put together a session. I'm going to try to keep it relatively short, maybe a half an hour for character creation and then maybe an hour to an hour and a half runtime. That way, if we don't want to play role-playing games the whole night, we can you know have some time to do some other stuff. So that was kind of the, the goal behind it. It was very last minute. We were kind of doing Halloween-themed stuff already, so I wanted to keep that theme going. And then I needed to be able to control the pacing really well for this, so that I could keep things moving and that we could get on to the rest of the night for the rest of the things that we had planned without this dragging on and taking too long. So I will come out and say that the first, the first, where one of those things, the time, we actually did spend like three hours playing because the session was going so well. So that was not, not necessarily planned, but it worked out really, really well. So as far as a one-shot goes, you could definitely run this in a night. There's definitely enough meat here that you could take a couple of hours to get through everything. It actually took a little bit longer than I was expecting just to get through some of the early encounters. So that's kind of the background for where this inspiration came from. And I, like I said, I put this together in about 24 hours or, you know, not, I didn't take a whole 24 hours, but that's about how much time I had to prep. So the other thing... I tried a prep method that Mike Shea from Sly Flourish has talked about in some of his Lazy Dungeon Master books. I, ha I don't have his books specifically, but I've been watching a lot of his videos and his podcasts and kind of learning about how he does his prep. And this uh, worked extremely well. And so there's kind of two pieces to it. They're, it's, they're kind of in the same hand here. I have two tables or uh, lists, I guess. One is events and encounters, and then the other one is secrets and clues. And he kind of talks about that. He talks more about the secrets and clues portion in his prep. And I kind of did the same thing for the events and account encounters, which I'll get to in just a second. And that lets you just kind of control the pacing on things a little bit better. So what he says about secrets and clues is 
you should come up with a list of about 10, maybe 20 uh, secrets and clues that your players can discover during like the next session that you're running. So this could be little bits of lore. It could be weaknesses of your big bad. It could be, you know, information about where to find certain things, right? Just to have a bunch of readily available information that is specific to the game that they're playing and to the session. So, you know, the campaign as a whole and specifically to that session, things that they're likely going to find out. One of the big pieces of this, though, is that you don't specify where, who, or when any of these secrets come up. So you leave that open. It could be that an NPC tells them something. They could find a journal that has some documentation about one of these secrets. They could find an item that kind of portrays this information, right? Uh, they could have a vision. There are different ways in which the secrets and clues can be worked in to this session. And what that does is, is it allows you to pick the secret or the clue that you want to give them in the moment and the delivery method you can improvise that piece of it you're not improvising the details you're improvising the delivery and it makes it it ended up being really satisfying and the key to the basement is one of those secrets and i will go through all of these and talk about kind of how the session played out but the key to the basement is one where i didn't have a specific location for it to be and the way it was found worked out really really nicely so we'll get to that when we get kind of back to uh, the secrets and clues section but i really like that idea of just having a list of things and then being able to pick and choose when it makes sense you could even roll if you you know weren't sure you could just roll a d10 and pick whichever one it is but it makes it so things flow a lot better in my single experience of actually using this it also helps with the fact that you don't know if in this situation if players are going to search a specific room if an NPC is going to die, I've seen a, a lot of times online, people will talk about, well, this one NPC had all this information, and then they, they died like right away in the session. Now that information is locked behind that character. This method prevents that from happening, because if the NPC didn't tell you, then you can find that information somewhere else in some other way. It doesn't, didn't have to be the NPC, right? So that is extremely helpful. Now, I did essentially the same thing with the events and encounters. So I didn't, with the exception of a couple of kind of key encounters, I have, I have 10, do I have 10? I have eight encounters that I had planned out. A couple of them are specific that needed to happen kind of at a certain point in the session, uh, which I have detailed and we'll go over this. So I had, so for the most part, these are just kind of encounters that would make sense to happen at the location. And then I could pick and choose to slot them in where they made sense and when I needed them to, to adjust pacing, to adjust, you know, if we've had too much combat or not enough combat, I could kind of pick and choose ones to add in. If I wanted some environmental stuff, I could throw that in. And I will go through all of these with you guys on the episode as well in just a minute. So now that I'm kind of working backwards, I talked about the secrets and clues, I talked about the events and encounters, and then I'm going to talk about the actual session the actual like one shot what the kind of game flow is supposed to be and then i will actually go through one by one of each of the events and each of the secrets and clues and we'll be good to go so you can take this and run this on halloween if you would like so this is blackwood manor 
And I actually used a Che Peku map, Grand Hunter's House. So I used that map, the upper and lower floor, and I also included a link to a YouTube video that just has some like Haunted Mansion style music, just for some ambience and a map that you can go find. And so the game flow, the kind of overarching idea here is that you have been invited to Gideon Blackwood's Manor. He's a big game hunter. Uh, he's probably knows the, uh, you know, local nobility pretty well or is part of the local nobility. You've been invited to this dinner party at his house. So it's you, it's your party, and then a couple of other NPCs. And the goal is that you have to survive the attack. There is a zombie attack that happens almost immediately. At the beginning of the session, to kick things off, you need to survive, find a key to the basement, and then you find out that in the basement, there is a coffin with some symbols on it, and there are some candles around the coffin, and you have to destroy the candles, and then that undoes the curse or the ritual or whatever that's happening, and you can kind of end the session. Okay, So that's like the general, the general flow. You get invited to a dinner party, you get attacked by zombies, you got to find the key to the basement and then destroy the candles so that you can lift the curse and escape. So before the game, I have a series here of things that I had written down for myself as to like, hey, when are these key events supposed to happen? So before the game, at 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes, and at the end of the session, because I was planning to run this in a condensed time frame, but you can just take these as key events to spread out, you know, as it makes sense, right? So the like, 30 minutes is going to be about your halfway point. 45 is going to be, you know, 75% of the way through. 60 minutes is kind of at the end. And then there's the, like, after the end of the session. So before the game, during character creation, why did Gideon Blackwood invite you tonight? So that is the one question that the players need to answer for why they are sitting around this dinner table with a couple of NPCs. And we'll go over the NPCs in just a minute. There's also some quoted text here or some italicized text here for just you can just straight up read this off, which is what I did during the session. So you've been formally invited to a small dinner party at Gideon Blackwood's Lodge. Gideon is a close associate of the Duke and renowned big game hunter. His lodge is decorated. His lodge is decorated with his taxidermy trophies. And you can see in that map by Che Peku. There's a bunch of like random, there's a whole room that has a bunch of taxidermy, but like almost every room has like one animal in it. At 15 minutes, announce the underbelly secret. That is Gideon keeps something locked away in the basement. Nobody is allowed, is allowed down there. A single key unlocks the door. If you're worried that the players are going to try to destroy the door, make it like an iron door or something that's unbreakable. It's magically sealed. You know, only the key can open it. So they don't just brute force it. At 30 minutes, players find a clue telling where the key to the basement is in an upstairs room. So the key to the basement is another secret and encounter another secret and clue that I had, which is just a small cellar key found in a room upstairs. And then once found, summon the boss, which we will get to in minutes in a minute. So 30 minutes basically, if they haven't found that key, tell them where it is. Have an NPC say they thought they saw it here or whatever. And then let them find it because we're trying to speed things along here. Um, at 45 minutes, the player fi players find the key. If they haven't already, like just 
throw it in their face. Oh, look, there it is. And then spawn the marble dragon in the stairwell. So the marble dragon is the boss. I will talk about the kind of two main enemies that we have in this session in a minute. Actually, we'll talk about them now. So there was two main enemies. There's these like spirit things. So the maybe it would be good to talk about the zombie break-in encounter, which is the first one. So zombie break-in. At the beginning of the session, the groundskeeper bursts through the door, shouting Blood Moon. A few moments later, a handful of zombies break into the room from the doors and the windows. When killed, a dark, smoky shadow leaves the possessed corpse and flees deeper into the manor to, to possess something else. So already we have the zombies that attack, but it's not really the zombies. It's the fact that there are these like shadow spirits that are making their way around the mansion, possessing stuff and attacking the players. And every time they get killed, whatever, like if they run out of HP, essentially, or if they're in an object and the object runs out of HP, it just it doesn't kill it. They flee somewhere else into the house to cause more problems, right? Oh, and one of the other encounters is the arcane seal. So after the zombies have entered the house, the house is sealed by arcane energy, trapping everyone inside until they can find a way to undo the magic. That's where those candles comes into play in the basement. So there's a reason why they can't just like flee. There's arcane magic that's locking them in the house. Uh, so that's our first two encounters out of the way. So then at the 45 minutes, if they haven't found the key, we're going to spawn the marble dragon in the stairwell, which is the boss. So this is, again, based on the actual map. There's a big stairwell in the middle of the map that goes to the um, upstairs level. And there's a big marble statue with like a person and some kind of like a dragon looking thing. And basically the spirits at this point, they've been possessing random stuff in the house. They coalesce and they all feed themselves into the marble statue and become this giant marble dragon uh, that the players now have to deal with. So once they have found the key to the basement and they make their way back to the stairwell, you can read this text, which says, as you make your way to the stairway, you notice the tendrils of shadows feeding themselves into the marble uh, statue of the dragon. It shudders and breaks free from its resting place. So now you've got a boss to deal with. At 60 minutes, the players have entered the basement and destroyed the coffin and candles. A ethereal blue light flickers as you enter the basement. Large, uh, this is what you would read when you come in, come into the basement, sorry. So this is, players have entered the basement. Ethereal blue light flickers as you enter the basement. A large wooden coffin lies at the center of the room, adorned with golden vampiric symbols. Five glowing ritual candles surround the coffin. And all they have to do is knock the candles out. Um, and then at, the, at session end, as the last candle fades, the curse lifts, the arcane barrier flickers away, the shadows wail as they become powerless, fleeing into the night. Dawn breaks on the eastern windows of the lodge. Only two questions remain. Where was Gideon Blackwood this night? And what is his next move? And that is how I turned this one shot into a campaign with my group but now let's let's talk through let's actually talk through the npcs that we have so there are three there's four other npcs really that are in that are in this 
in this one shot. So the first NPC is the groundskeeper, Old Van Witherby. He's a hunched elderly man with a scruffy beard and calloused hands. He's always in his worn out hat and overalls. His eyes are aged and he, you know, has unspoken stories and kind, gentle wisdom. You've got the painter, Lady Elise Montclair. She's a middle-aged woman, and she has, you know, paint in her hair and probably on her clothes. She always looks a little bit disheveled. She's a close friend of Gideon's wife and has helped his wife with various commissioned paintings, essentially. One of the rooms in the upstairs of the map is a large painting room and actually a hidden painting room as well, or like storage room, which kind of become useful later on. So if you can't tell already, I've used a lot of inspiration from the map itself to build this story and fitting uh, people and things in that would make sense, you know, just for the location, because that's what we had. And then we've got hunting buddy, Sir Reginald Fairway. So he's a robust man in his late 40s with a hearty laugh and a penchant for embellishing tales of his hunting exploits. He's a hunting buddy to Gideon. They've gone on many expeditions to rare and exotic creatures so he hangs out at the lodge a lot during hunting season and we also have the head servant miss agatha hainsworth so a stern looking woman with her hair always slightly pulled back um and she doesn't show a lot of emotions and you know she's impeccably straight and her uniform is always clean and whatever just you know very kind of stereotypical characters that we have here that could exist in the lodge and then we have kind of a handful of unnamed servants that may be running around helping with preparing food or whatever. But these are kind of the four main named NPCs. By mention, Gideon Blackwood is mentioned and his wife is mentioned. I didn't name his wife, but they don't show up physically in, uh, in the session. So you don't necessarily need to worry about having them on hand because they're not at the manor. So the... The monsters that we talked about, we've got the Shadow Spirit, so I just, we're, we were playing this in Index Card RPG, so I made things simple. HP, so one heart, it's got a plus one to all stats. It can possess objects, so whenever it's in an object, it's not vulnerable to light, which is the other thing that it has when it's defeated, or the object is destroyed, it flees somewhere else for a couple of rounds and possesses something, it may then... We'll get to the encounters. Having it flee, having them flee into the manor gave me a reason to be able to have these encounters happen kind of whenever. So as the players would move room to room, I could trigger the next encounter that kind of made sense for the situation. And then we had the vulnerability to light. So light damage or radiant damage does automatic critical damage to the spirits. If a spirit is not currently possessing an object and it's killed by light damage, it was fully destroyed. That actually came out during gameplay. I had not planned that originally. We we had an event that happened and it just made so much sense for that to happen the way it did. So I just added that in because it was a really cool moment for the player, which we will talk about when I get to that encounter. And so there is a way for them to destroy the spirit's before they've released the curse, but for the most part, they just flee into the manor to cause more problems. I had, I originally tried to have five spirits moving about. 
backing that off to four because I only had three player characters and there was, you know, action economy wise, there just, I didn't necessarily need to have five and I didn't really want it to be a super deadly game. I wanted them to survive and be able to finish. The Marble Dragon, I gave it 10 hit points per spirit that was possessing it. So if you had three, you'd give it 30 health. If it had five, you could give it 50 health. I also, I didn't do this in the game, but in the notes, I put stats plus one to all stats per spirit that possesses it. Again, I didn't end up using that, but it was it's an option that you can play with. And it has chunks, which I'll get to in just a second. Actually, I'll get to the chunks now. So each 10 HP lost, the dragon loses a limb, and the control one of the controlling spirits flees into the manor. So as you're kind of doing enough damage to it, you're chipping off pieces of the marble dragon, the spirit that was in that chunk leaves, that would also mean that its stats would come down. So if it was if it was four spirits that have 40 health plus four to all rolls, well, if you do 10 damage to it, okay, now it's, you know, it's under 30 health, it's got plus three to all, to all stats now. Right, so you can kind of have this, like, weakening effect, if you want. This is all, like, kind of homebrewed stuff anyways. Do whatever you want. I also gave it a Shadow Breast, which it didn't get a chance to use, exhaling an area of thick shadows that damages and blinds the victim. This is index card RPG, so I didn't really come up with, like, how much damage that does, because in index card RPG, it would just do, like, energy damage or magic damage, so it would just be a D10, and I don't have to think about it, so... I just left that as is. All the players only had 10 health anyways, so a D10 is scary because I can knock them out potentially. And then another ability was just slash. So the dragon bites or claws at players with its limbs or tail. So bite, claw, tail, and that would just do weapon damage in index card RPG, which is a D6. And that was the two enemies that we had. And any so the spirits, they would possess an object. It didn't matter if it was a zombie. If it was a taxidermy thing, if it was a chair, I just did all damage was the same, right? It's a D6. It's just like blunt force attacks, right? So nothing too complicated there in terms of like damage types or any of that fun stuff. Okay, so I've already talked about actually three of the encounters. We've talked about the zombie break-in, the arcane seal, and the marble dragon. Those are the things that are for sure going to happen. And actually, the Blackwood Coffin is technically on here as an encounter as well. So that's four. So those four things are for sure going to happen at some point. The key, so I did say that the Marble Dragon, once the key is found, shadows possess the Marble Dragon and the statue comes to life along the main staircase. The only thing that I wanted to specify with the key is that the key would be found upstairs, which would force them to then have to go back to the stairwell to pass the Marble Dragon to get to the basement. It's the only reason why I have that in there. So the next four encounters that I have are completely optional that could happen or not happen, depending on what the pacing and timing was that I needed or what just made sense in the story. So Room of room of Mimics, the shadows have taken to inanimate objects in this room, a chair, a chest, a rug, attempting to subdue the players, right? That encounter didn't end up happening when we played the session. Uh, so I don't have much to say on that, but it's there if you need it. Soul Kiss. So this is, think think of the Dementors from uh, Harry Potter. Upon entering a room, players find uh, a servant's soul being sucked from their body 
by one of the shadows, they must act quickly or the shadow will devour and possess the servant becoming superhuman. So I was just going to give it a, like a stat bump if it was successful in consuming the soul and then possessing the body. What I did here, ICRPG suggests that you use timers. So the players heard a scream from the other room. You know, they came and checked it out. This one of the spirits was over the head servant and was doing this. I rolled a D, uh, D4 for my timer and said, okay, you've got two rounds before it devours her soul and, and possesses her. And they managed to, it didn't fight back or anything. It didn't do anything to the players. It was just focused on trying to kill the servant. And so they just had two rounds to try and deal with it before that happened. And they managed to knock it out in one round. So it just fled farther into the into the manor again. And then that servant was saved. So that was good. Poltergeist. Several objects in a room float ominously, defying gravity. Getting close will fling the objects at the nearest player, save, or take damage. So I like to use save as a phrase for when I want them to make some sort of a roll to avoid something, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to specify like, oh, you have to make a dex check. You have to make a con save, right? I'm going to let them tell me what they're going to do and then see if they can avoid it with that roll. So if they can think on their feet and do something really cool, they can roll with whatever stat they want to if they can justify. And this actually happened. I had it poltergeist like three chairs and one of the players just didn't quite catch on to what was happening. And she walked in and got hit from every angle by the chairs and took damage and was like, okay, yep, I, I realized what just happened and that I shouldn't have walked in here. Just completely kind of went over her head, but that's okay. This one is more, less of a combat and more of an environmental, environmental type thing because they have to deal with these floating things that aren't necessarily trying to attack them straight out it's not it's not like attack rolls and hitting them it's just a it's kind of a one and done thing kind of a minefield and then the last one is living taxidermy the shadows will possess the various taxidermy creatures throughout the manor so again just gives them a different body or frame to be in to attack the players this one also didn't come up and if it would have i would probably give the spirits you know, abilities that kind of make sense for the animal, right? Like there's a, I think there's a large snake in one of the rooms and there's a big wolf and a bear, right? Have the bear pin them on the ground, have the snake, you know, wrap somebody up to try to strangle them, that sort of a thing. So those are the eight encounters that could happen in any order, in any room, for the most part, with the exception of those key encounters that we talked about. I do, now we're going to talk about the secrets and clues. And then I have a, a special fun little bit when we get to the occult paintings. So secrets and clues. The first one, underbelly. Gideon keeps something locked away in the basement. Nobody is allowed down there. A single key unlocks the door. Uh, that's something they should find out fairly early on so that they know that they're looking for a key. The second secret and clue is a key to the basement. A small key found in a, in a room upstairs once found some of the boss. So the the key was an, an interesting one because I didn't know where they were going to find the key. And it worked out really well. One of the players went into the taxidermy room. He convinced the other two 
the other two NPCs to come with him and help him search the room for just stuff, right? Just anything, anything useful. And so I asked him, you know, like, okay, as you're going through searching for stuff, like, how are you searching a taxidermy room, right? And he was just, he was swinging his daggers and sword at everything. He was just, like, chopping the heads off of the taxidermy stuff, just ripping the entire the entire room to shreds, basically. And on the map, it's all taxidermy stuff. So it's like his his trophy room, right? Gideon's trophy room of where all the like big animals are. And actually, I think I have, yeah, I have another secret related to the room that just says favorite, uh, favorite taxidermy. Gideon keeps his favorite taxidermy trophies in a room on the second floor, which was one that they had found out already. And so he's in there and he slashed everything up. And I was like, this seems like a good time for them to find the key. So he slices the alligator's head off and it falls to the ground. And and the key kind of clanks across the floor. And so what I said was, you know, this is he had hidden the key in the head of the crocodile or the alligator, whatever it was. So whenever he wanted to go into the basement, he could come in to his taxidermy room that probably most people don't really want to be in there you know stick your stick your hand down the alligator's mouth and right right there right kind of hooked on the inside of the alligator's head that's where he would have the key at and that piece of it was improvised on the fly in the moment after that player decided to go in and just cut everything in the room to shreds and i think that was a very satisfying way for them to find the key and as a gideon as a character who was very secretive it made sense for him, right? He's he's not hiding stuff in, in his desk. He's making it hard for people to be able to find his secrets. So then we have Midnight Painter, and I have kind of two related to the paintings here. So this is another situation where we had a funny encounter, or a, a, very, a very good encounter. So Midnight Painter, Gideon's wife, has been painting pictures of occult creatures and rituals, but the paintings disappear, never seen leaving the house. And then the other clue here is occult paintings. The occult paintings in the hidden room depict vampiric symbols and rituals. So on the map, there's a big painter's room, and then there's a little balcony that goes out, and it kind of comes over, and then there's this little storage room that looks like it has some paintings that have like a big tarp that's laid over them. And I had had the painter lady, the NPC, kind of, convey some of this information when they were asking questions and stuff and kind of exploring the upstairs and said that she had heard rumors of this but she'd never actually seen these pictures and so when they found out that there's this hidden room the player got very was expecting something to attack i didn't have anything planned i was just going to be a storage room of these occult paintings right so i hadn't planned anything to attack but he spent so much time like he narrated him and the hunting buddy, Sir Reginald, like he ordered him to stand in a certain spot and get his get his rifle ready. And then he had his daggers ready. And he's going to, you know, he's like kicking the door open. And I'm going to go in like with my my daggers ready to just like hit whatever I can. Or no, it wasn't the daggers. It was he had his crossbow out. So he took this whole he did this whole setup of like we're breaching this room. And if there's something in here, it's going to be dead. And. As he is planning this out, you know, I didn't have a plan for there to be a spirit in the room. But I was like, there's there's no way that I can 
you know, this is a golden opportunity. I can't let this golden opportunity go to waste. I need to use this because he is so invested in this moment. It has to have a payoff. So what I did was the occult paintings are in there and he opens the door and one of the occult paintings has a spirit on it and the spirit comes out of the painting and attacks immediately, takes a swipe at him. And so he's like, I knew it. And he's fighting back and he stumbles, but you know, he takes a hit. He stumbles backwards. Sir Reginald kind of goes in and tries to, to bash at it. And then kind of in his, so this was like a couple of rounds or like one round. This all happened and then come back on the next round. He, his crossbow had a flare kit or flare option. So he loaded a flare into the crossbow and shot the flare into the room. And, and he manages to get a critical hit. So this is where that that light damage thing kind of came up. So this flare lights up this room. He does a ton of damage. And then I just had it kill the the spirit in one shot. So he rolled enough damage to do so. But since it was light damage, I had it just like evaporate. And he really loved this. I think that this was a pretty defining moment for him as a player. Because this was his first real tabletop role-playing game really session like a really true tabletop experience especially since it was in person and i think this really sunk in the like holy cow this is fun this is something that's worth you know spending my time doing i'm having a lot of fun with this so that was really exciting of a moment as a game master to be able to improvise that scene because he had so much invested in it and really making it pay off well for his character and to just feel good as a player one of the, we did take a break partway through and I did get the comment, you know, I was trying to kind of push things through and run it in a quicker time frame. And he had said, you know, I don't want this to be over in another 30 minutes. I'd like this to keep going. So that's where some of that extra time came in at. And it was good. It was a very good first session for him. The next secret and clue is Big Game Hunter. Gideon is known for hunting uh, big game and rare creatures. He has an armory filled with traps and weapons on the second floor, two rifles, one bear trap, and a large machete. And I think I had Sir Reginald mention that this was upstairs, and they kind of fled upstairs. That's where he got his, uh, picked up one of his weapons, because he was previously unarmed, as were the rest of the NPCs. Elixirs abound. Gideon is paranoid and known to keep various potions and elixirs hidden around the manor in case of emergency. So on a successful investigation check in a room, they can find an elixir. Now, since we were having a Halloween-themed board game night, I went above and beyond with this one, and I went to the liquor store and got a couple of small, like, little mixed bag of different little alcohol shop-type things that look kind of like potion bottles, threw them in a bag, and whenever they found a potion, I let them draw from the bag, pull out a flavor, and that was their potion. And then... In Index Card RPG, there are different loot tables. And for this one, I had them roll on the epic loot table, which is like the most powerful gear you can get in ICRPG. And I had it just basically, you know, it was all gear, but I just converted it to be a the effect of the potion, right? So one of them, it like doubled their health. One of them to pick a milestone up, like basically like level up. And essentially what I did was I just had it last until the end of the session. So did two things for me. Uh, as players, they get a fun little 
you know, real world mini game that they get to play. And then two, they get this like super high powered effects. But for me, since it's temporary and only lasts for the night, I don't have to worry about if this turns into a long term campaign. I don't have to deal with, you know, having handed out super high level gear early on in the campaign. So no worries there. That was a lot of fun. Favorite taxidermy. Gideon keeps his favorite taxidermy trophies in a room on the second floor. That's, again, where they found the key. And that just, I don't know, that just worked out well. Some of this information is just little bits of lore about the location. And it doesn't necessarily need to be that crazy in-depth. Occult library. There's an occult ritual spell book in the library related to blood magic. So then I wrote down blood magic tome, sacrifice one HP when casting a spell to make it easy. Nobody really had spells, but the players did pick this up and I used this in our second session, which is more of a session zero. I will talk about that in a future video. This did come up because I had the players get framed for the events that happened during this session. And the fact that one of them was carrying around this blood magic tome made it extremely incriminating evidence to have it on their person, which was great. So that was able to then, we'll kick off for the next, the next session of them being imprisoned, which is something that they had all expressed interest in doing a prison break. So I had to, had to imprison them somehow so they could do a prison break. One thing to mention too, in that zombie encounter, the groundskeeper runs in and he he ended up getting killed by the zombies in like the second round of the game so they also got blamed for his murder and they got blamed for his murder for having occult material performing occult rituals and then like destruction of property because they trashed gideon's house and the last one is the blackwood diary a written journal describing plans to awaken an ancient horror through blood magic I ended up placing this in the coffin at the end of the session. This was the one clue that they didn't unlock during, like really during the session. And I wasn't planning on having Gideon in the coffin anyway. So they, they took out all the candles, the ritual kind of dropped. And then they were like ready to just jump whatever was in the coffin. Actually, one of the characters basically like just started beating on the the top and like breaking the top of the coffin apart and just inside is the diary you know which then leads us to where was Gideon Blackwood this night and what is his next move right so this then has kicked off a full-fledged campaign which I will talk about more like I said we've got that session zero that I would like to talk about we'll do that in a separate video but if anybody's interested in running a Halloween style one shot, feel free to steal this. Take what you can from the podcast episode. If you want to support me and become a patron, you can go over and grab my notes, which is what I'm reading off of. So you can more easily run it as well as links to uh, that YouTube video for the soundtrack or a soundtrack and a map, the map that I used. So Feel free to use it, and with that, I hope everybody enjoys the Halloween, the rest of the Halloween season, and the inevitable Halloween one-shots and themed sessions that will be coming up. So thank you guys for listening, and I will catch you guys in the next one.